This morning, our scripture comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. In the third year of the rule of Judah's king Jehoiakim, Babylon's king Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and attacked it. The Lord handed Judah's king Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar, along with some of the equipment from God's house. Nebuchadnezzar took these to Shinar, to his own God's temple, putting them in his God's treasury. Nebuchadnezzar instructed his highest official, Asphanaz, to choose royal descendants and members of the ruling class from the Israelites, good-looking young men without defects, skilled in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, conversant with learning, and capable of serving in the king's palace. Asphanaz was to teach them the Chaldean language and its literature. The king assigned these young men daily allotments from his own food and from the royal wine. Asphanaz was to teach them for three years so that at the end of that time they could serve before the king. Among these young men from the Judeans were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But the chief official gave them new names. His name was Daniel, Balthasar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God indeed. Uh, Tammy and I are just wanting to throw difficult names at you now two weeks in a row. That's really why we chose this passage. No, we continue in our sermon series, Heroes of the Faith, by looking at the biblical character of Daniel and the lessons that we might glean from the way that he existed but more particularly the way the Jewish community in the exile, the Babylonian exile, existed. And what lessons we can learn from them. What lessons of faith can we learn existing as a minority voice? And you might think to yourself, well, perhaps we're not a minority voice. We are. As people of faith, we, we have a culture that surrounds us. We have two cultures, actually, that surround us, that, that calls us to be a minority voice. Here in the South, we Methodists are a minority religious voice. There is a different dominant religious voice that exists around us, and it's not Methodist. And I'll give you a couple of guesses what it may be, and you can maybe figure that out. But it's not Methodist. We also live in a world that doesn't necessarily share our values, uh, our religious convictions. And so how is it that we exist when there are different cultures around us? How do we exist as a minority voice? What do we give up? What do we take on? How do we live in this space? And the book of Daniel gives us some great insight for they have to know how to live in the Babylonian exile as the Jewish people. And during that time, they develop some unique characteristics. They hold on to some things. And they develop some behavior that allows them to be faithful while existing and living as a minority religious tradition. One of the ways that they exist is by not allowing others to determine who they are. In our text this morning, they're given new names. Daniel is given a new name. Hananiah is given a new name. 
They're given Babylonian names. They're not allowed to retain their Jewish names, according to the Babylonian officials. And yet names are an important thing. Many of you, no, no doubt, have significant, meaningful names in your family. For instance, my son Ashley, his name is a family name. It's important to us. It, it has meaning that stretches back a couple of generations. For the Jewish people, their names were significant. They received their names, perhaps from ancestors. Their names had ties to the tribes that they were from. These were important things, but when they made it to Babylon, when they were taken to Babylon, this was taken from them. And yet, when we look through the book of Daniel and the way that Daniel exists in relationship to King Nebuchadnezzar and two Babylonian officials, what we learn is that even though they've taken his name from him, he doesn't allow them to determine who he is. He remains faithful to God. He continues to embrace a faith that exhibits trustworthiness, which earns him favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't allow somebody else to, to determine who he is. And I suspect many of us have had that experience where folks have tried to tell us who we are. Not, not just as individuals, but, but as a community of faith. Have you ever had that experience when you're um, out in the mouth or uh, maybe you're, you're with your friends and, or maybe you're at, at the country club playing tennis or whatever it is that you do, you're there and somebody says, where do you go to church? And you say, oh, I go to Aniston First Methodist. And they go, oh, you go to that liberal church, don't you? Anybody ever had that experience? I've heard that you've had that experience. People have told me that you've had, you've told me you've had that experience. And, and we don't necessarily always know what to do with that. I don't. People say, oh, you're a pastor at that progressive church down there? What does that mean? Do you mean the, that church that welcomes a diverse range of people? We have people of various ages, and we have people of various thoughts, and we have a couple different worship styles, and we reach out to our community. We try to do what Jesus did. Is that what that means? I'm not sure what you mean by that. If that's what you mean by that, then that's awesome. But I'm not sure. We, we don't, you see, Daniel doesn't allow the new name that's given to him to determine who he is. As a community of faith, no one gets to determine who we are except for us. We get to determine that. We get to prioritize what it's about here at Aniston First. And if doing those things, if that's what that makes us, own it. Claim it. Nothing wrong with that. Following Jesus, creating space for people to come and be a child of God, that's great. That's a great name. That's a great reputation to have. Don't deny it. Don't dismiss it. Own it. Own it if that's what you feel about your church. If that's what you're proud of about your church here at Anniston First. You see, in exile, 
the Jewish people had to develop some practices. In fact, scholars believe that, that during exile, the Jewish folks developed their kosher practices, that circumcision became even more important, and that it was during this time that they began praying towards Jerusalem, that these became more deeply ingrained in who these people are and were. Because they needed to set themselves apart from the dominant culture around them. They needed to be identifiable. Having served here now at Aniston First for five years, which sounds crazy to me, but having served here for five years, you all have some defining characteristics that they are clearly identifiable to most people. But sometimes we want to shy away from owning some things about ourselves that maybe we're afraid of because the voice of the dominant culture can be so powerful, be so overwhelming. And one of the first things that's obvious about you all is you're Methodist. You are deeply Methodist. You are deeply Wesleyan. You believe in emphasizing God's grace. God's pervenient grace, God's justifying and sanctifying grace. We talk about grace here, and you all believe it. But if you're like me, you've had that experience where you find yourself out and about, and you, somebody says, where you go to church? And you go, oh, I go, to, I go to Methodist church. Oh, y'all just talk about grace all the time, don't you? Anybody ever had that experience? That's all y'all talk about as Methodists. Y'all just talk about grace all the time. Y'all never talk about sin. You just talk about grace. Well, yeah, we do, actually. We talk a lot about grace. We overly overemphasize God's grace. We emphasize that more than we do human sinfulness because God's grace is more significant than our human sinfulness. So, So maybe if we want to exist as, as that minority voice, maybe instead of like, you know, kicking our feet or, yeah, we do talk a lot about grace. Say, so, yeah, you know what? We do talk a lot about grace because that's what Christ was about. Christ was about extending grace to a whole lot of people. And He calls us to do the same. He calls us to do the same. One of the other characteristics that define who you are as a community, and this is one of the things that I hope Mickey Starling doesn't get me, uh, but he emphasizes this over and over and over, and I love him for this. He emphasizes we are a downtown church. Y'all are a downtown church. And that has implications. That, that has implications for where you do ministry and how you do ministry and the ways you do ministry. And it's, and it's easy when we're trying to invite someone to come to our church to, to couch it in ways of, you know, we, you know we're downtown. Uh, we, you, when you come downtown, there, there might be some folks who are laying by the door or something like that. Don't be scared of them. You know, there's ways that we can talk about that 
in a way that's positive, that we can own it because it's a part of who we are. Doing ministry with people in need is part of who we are. Instead of talking about it in those ways, what we could say is, you know, when you come down here and visit, you're probably going to find some of our homeless friends. They're okay, you know. It's just part of it. It's just part of what it's like being in a downtown church. We get to minister with them. And we get to be in relationship with them. And it is such a gift. But oftentimes, that's not our tendency. Our tendency is to kind of want to skirt around it. It's a little uncomfortable, and we're not really sure what to do with it. Own who you are. Own who you are. There are lots of other places that people can go in Aniston that don't Minister with folks who are homeless. But it's part of who you are. It's a gift. It's a blessing that you get to do that. One of the final ways that we we exist as a as a different voice, as an alternative voice in this community, in this world. Sounds so simple, but it is so difficult. And the, week, the events of this past week make it even more challenging. And that is behaving like Christ. Behaving as if we follow God. That's what Daniel does in the king's court. He acts like he follows God. He is trustworthy and he has integrity. And it earns him favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, King Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed with his behavior and how he acts and his trustworthiness that he proclaims that Daniel's God is the one true God. How do we exist when we're we're living in this space where we're a little outnumbered sometimes? Well behave well. We behave as if we follow Jesus. Which sounds so, so simple. But we all know it's not. We all know that it's not. Existing as a different community of faith is not easy. It is not easy. It presents challenges. Existing as a community of faith, trying to hold in tension so many differences that we have. And we have them. It's challenging. But it's one of the things that makes this church beautiful as it seeks to embody what it means to look like the kingdom of God. There are many places we can go where the thought is homogenous, where perspectives are homogenous, where everybody looks like us and everybody thinks like us. But part of the beauty of this community of faith is that we're all in this together. That those core characteristics that define who we are and what we do are important enough that we're able to accept one another and continue on the journey 
that God has called us on. It is by no means an easy task to be Methodist, mission-oriented, and all-embracing as a congregation. Should it be? Absolutely. Is it? No. And so we do so with a hope, a hope similar to Daniel. Because one of the things that Daniel does is he has an apocalyptic vision. He sees the future, and it gives him hope. When we exist in such a way as we do, we do so with hope that the journey that we are on, God is on with us. May we go forward. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for making us a unique congregation in the community in which we are situated. God, oftentimes we struggle to claim what that means for us. Uh, We struggle to own it. God, give us the strength and the courage to own who we are as a church and as a people. That we might continue to be for the world and for this community a beacon of hope and a beacon of light that may draw many different people to you and to faith in you. For we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.